And there was also this, this question after I had been with the two law firms, three law firms, is who's in control of my career? And I remember saying that, oh, I don't work for Howard. I work for Sherry Williams Enterprises. And Sherry Williams Enterprises has a joint venture with Halliburton. Hello, and thank you for listening in this week. I'm Yumika Anderson Howard, DNI Manager at Dwayne Morris. This week on Dwayne Morris DNI 360 with Joe West, we're speaking with Sherry Williams, who is the Chief Legal Officer, Chief Compliance Officer, and SVP of Human Resources at SMI, as she discusses CLO, Compliance, and HR, the Leadership Trifecta. Hello, everybody. Joe West here, partner at Dwayne Morris and uh, the firm's Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer. Uh, with me is my dear friend and someone for whom I have had the utmost respect for well over 20 years, uh, Miss Sherry Williams. Sherry, hello. Hello, Joe West. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. It is an honor to be here, and I am flattered to have been asked. So let's get right into it, Sherry. You are currently, uh, I think, the Chief Legal Officer at SMI, if I'm not mistaken. Is that your title? That, that is one of my titles. I am the Chief Legal Officer. I am the Chief Compliance Officer. I am the Corporate Secretary, and I am the Senior Vice President of Human Resources. I knew all of that, uh, and I'm not surprised that you wear those many hats because uh, one of the things I always brag about when I talk about you is the fact that you became the corporate secretary for Halliburton at the age of 37. Uh, and just the fact that there was a Black female, 37 years old, who became the corporate secretary uh, at a company like Halliburton in and of itself speaks to how extraordinary you are. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, let's walk uh, through your extraordinary career. First of all, uh, starting with uh, law school and all on the way to SMI. So I went to law school at the University of Miami um, School of Law, which I was very fortunate because I learned about the school through the late um, Professor Robert Waters. He was the first tenured Black professor at the University of Miami, and he happened to see me give a presentation at the Big Eight Conference on Black Student Government when I was, and I'm always very careful to say this, a fifth year senior at the University of Oklahoma. Uh, I'm a first generation college educated student. I'm the youngest of 12 children. Um, my mother had 12 pregnancies, nine living children. I have a brother who died when he was 18 months old. So I'm the youngest of the living eight, but I was the first to go to college and the first to go to to go to graduate school. And, you know, I didn't know you could drop classes. So, um, you know, I, I was messing around a little bit there and not doing so well because it was also new to me. And um, somebody told me after the drop period, oh, if you're not doing well in calculus, you can drop that class. I was like, what? Nobody told me. Um, so it took me a little bit of extra time to finish. Um, and so I happened to have met Professor Waters and he told me, that um, you know you should apply to the University of Miami. And I was like, okay, I think I'll do that. And he was such an extraordinary man that when I called to tell him that I had been admitted, he said, 
I already know that I walked that application through myself. And wow. I have just been eternally grateful that he saw something in me at, at 21 years old that I, I didn't even see in myself at the time. So let's stop right there and, and, and dig a little deeper into a couple of things. First of all, you talked about the, um, you know, there's so much emphasis now on credentials. When law, when law firms are looking for law students, and when law schools are looking for undergraduate students, who's got the background, who's got the pedigree, who's got the credentials. It's very refreshing to see and hear people talk about their backgrounds, not necessarily being steeped in all these traditional indicia of success and the result being someone as successful as you are right now. Let's talk about that for a second, Jerry. Sure. I, look, I, I understand the focus on credentials. There are these schools and there are these firms and, and these places that have made us believe that they're turning out the absolute best and the absolute brightest. But when we buy into that myth, and it is a myth, we are leaving out just swaths of, of professionals or potential professionals who have tenacity and resilience and courage and bravery and who have overcome very challenging circumstances to get to where they are. And I think that we do ourselves a disservice, especially as lawyers, because we all know law firms are hard places to work and in-house as a lawyer can be difficult. And so having someone that has had to really kind of fight for it and, and earn the right to be in the room it matters. And, and when we just go, it's all, you know, Harvard, it's all Yale. And, and, you know, we were having this debate about some of the Supreme Court nominees, right? Um, I, I think we do ourselves a disservice. Well, you're emblematic of what that looks like. Hard work and tenacity. Those are your middle names. Uh, all right. From the you, where to then? Um, I went, my first job was at a insurance defense firm. I was a medical malpractice defense lawyer for about three years. Um, I, I won't even go into all the ways in which that became very, very handy, um, having both parents and siblings that are older and, and were receiving certain types of medical care. And then again, going to the, the, the chances where, or the opportunities where you're in the right place at the right time, and you happen to be prepared. Um, I got a call from a law school colleague who was asking me to work at a firm he just left mm. because I had met that partner out at some cocktail party in Miami. And I told him, I said, well, you know, that it looks like a good opportunity, but I've been talking to this partner at Kirkpatrick and Lockhart, and I really want to wait until I get a chance to, to talk to them. And he starts laughing. He says, do you know where I work? I was like, I don't. He was like, I work at Kirkpatrick and Lockhart. And who have you been talking to? And I mentioned the partner that I've been speaking with. And then Jeff introduced me to the hiring partner who turned into out to be a wonderful mentor of mine, a man named Greg Breitbart. And when I interviewed with Greg, he said, we've been hearing about you in partners meetings for probably three months. 
And I met the partner who referred me to the firm because I was on the executive board of the UN Law Alumni Association. So it was this person having seen me work in committee. It was him having seen me come up with ideas and him deciding that even though I had a decent career at, at my small insurance defense firm, that I would probably have more fun in what he called the quote, big time, which was going to a large law firm. And this story is illustrative of something else that I like to tell, especially younger lawyers, which is that you're auditioning for what's next every day of your career, even if you don't realize it at the time. And, you know, that getting on somebody's radar screen happens because you're doing extraordinary work with what's in front of you right now today, right? Right. I, I had a boss tell me once that um, he was always challenged when he was doing succession by people who were always auditioning for the job they wanted versus doing the job they had. Exactly which is the best way to get the job you want, or even a job you don't even know has your name on it yet and comes tapping you on the shoulder sometimes. Right. And so I think your, your advice, Joe, of being in the moment and being all in on the thing you're doing at that time is really, really important because sometimes if you're too performative, you're, you're not getting the results you think you are. So let's jump ahead. You used, you mentioned the term, the big time. I mean, Halliburton, especially young black female in Texas as the corporate secretary, I think you had a compliance role there also, if I'm not mistaken. How did that come about? So, um, you know, I will tell anybody who will listen that the most important person in my career ever was the former general counsel of Halliburton, a gentleman by the name of Bird Cornelison. And what was so extraordinary about Bird is he was ahead of his time when it came to his perspective on diversity and inclusion. So uh, a very large number of his legal leadership team at Halliburton were women. There were diverse women. The law department at Halliburton was diverse. And, and Bert did something that very few um, people in his positions of power will do, which is to give you the freedom to make a mistake and to recover from that and still manage to stay on your trajectory. So Bert recruited me into um, Halliburton as senior counsel. I had just returned from Mexico, um, working on a large international arbitration that we had going on and he walks into my office and he closes the door. So Joe West, I thought I was about to be fired. I was like, oh, why did the general counsel walk in here and close the door, right? And, and he said, I have a new opportunity for you. Um, you are the victim of your own success. And he told me that he wanted me to, to become the corporate secretary. I had been with the company at that time about 18 months. And I, I kind of looked over my shoulder both ways. And he's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to figure out who you're offering this job to. And he kind of chuckles and he says, I'm offering it to you. And I said, you do know, I know nothing about securities. Like I know nothing about corporate governance. He was like, 
18 months ago, you didn't know anything about oil and gas or international arbitration either, but I think you just came back from Mexico having done one of those quite successfully. Um, I've talked to the CEO, I've talked to the head of HR, we think you can do it. And, you know, as they say, the kind of rest is history, but, but he was instrumental in, in really pushing me and pushing me to sort of step into my own light and to step into my own power and, and to, you know, figure out how to get it done. And he did that with empathy and vulnerability and expectation. And to this day, he is still one of my favorite people and one of my dearest friends. That story gives me chills because for two reasons. First of all, it's very reminiscent of my own experience at Walmart when Tom Mars, the GC who recruited me to the company and then promoted me to the Altec Council Management function, almost the identical conversation, but also on a broader level, it speaks to the value of having not just a mentor, but a sponsor. Uh, right. someone who's willing to expend capital on your behalf, but also take a chance on giving you a stretch opportunity. And that is so critically important uh, and something I think people underappreciate. Um, Sherry, you were the first person that I ever heard use the term uh, personal board of directors. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I, I think I heard you use it on the panel we were on when we met 20 years ago. Uh, and I've used it ever since. I always give you attribution. You well, know. thank you. <laughs> uh, but explain to people what that means and why that's important. So I, I will tell you the first time I heard that term in a particular context, I was actually at the CYOC conference and someone just kind of threw it out and I didn't know what it meant at that time. But what I learned when I got into these hollowed rooms, right, the boardroom, the C-suite, is that there are going to be a lot, of, a lot of things that you don't know. And you have to have some place to go to ask the questions without judgment, where there's learning. And so I, and, and there was also this, this question after I had been with the two law firms, three law firms, is who's in control of my career? Mm -hmm. And I remember saying at a speech and actually having it published in a magazine that, oh, I don't work for Halbert. I work for Sherry Williams Enterprises. And Sherry Williams Enterprises has a joint venture with Halbert. And as long as that joint venture is positive, then we move forward, but who runs a corporation without a board? And so the whole idea of treating my career as an enterprise that I control, I needed appropriate advisors. And so it was people about um, work-life management. It was people about how do I get my substantive skills? It was about how do I become a better leader? So it wasn't all lawyers. There were people younger than me, people older than me, people with vastly different experience than I had. And I just go to them to this day for various issues that are important around how to um, sort of make key decisions in my life. When I considered having a child, I went to a member of my board to ask, how do I manage single motherhood in this corporate environment? 
and she gave me wonderful advice. Um, and, you know, when it was time to negotiate for um, a new job and new titles, I, I think I called a member of my board named Joe West and was like, hey, I have this opportunity. You know, how do I get from that what I want? And, and I just think we don't know everything and, and lots of people within our networks have things to offer us. And so, you know, I am blessed to have amazing people like you on my board, you know, the godfather of black lawyers in America, one Ben Wilson and um, Sharice Lilly, who um, retired from Comcast and, and is the former head of litigation for uh, Ballard Spar, has been on my board since I was probably a fifth year lawyer. Um, and, and these are women and men with these esteemed careers that um, just have been instrumental in any number of ways to helping me, um, you know, build a career that I'm proud of. Well, I'm fortunate to have you uh, on my personal board of directors, I not only borrowed that term from you, but I borrowed you so that you can serve <laughs> on my board as well. Uh, in the few minutes we have left, let's talk about uh, SMI. It's a company that you've been with uh, less than a year now, I believe. If I'm about not a year, a year and a month. It's one of those companies that stand uh, at right at the uh, juncture of what's critically important for the environment for the ecosystem right now and uh, one that is very important. Tell us about the company. Tell us about the work you do there. So SMI is a 125-year-old company that has existed in various forms, but we recycle glass. And we do that because we have an interest in the environment, we have an interest in, in creating a better world for all of us. And glass is infinitely recyclable. Um, it is a difficult business, but we have a wonderful employee base that work really, really hard. Um, we have a relatively new CEO in Chris Dodds, who has just set forth a really fantastic vision for how to move the company forward. And they decided that in order to sort of get to the next place, they would bring in a chief legal officer. So um, I came in to do work for the company. It was different for me because it's a privately held company versus public and public had been my experience. And so this was a way for me to get a different type of experience um, and also go into a different industry as we all hear about climate um, change and in the ways in which we need to be thinking about better ways to, to go green and support a green economy. This just seemed like a really interesting opportunity. Um, and that they had some challenges that I think that I was sort of uniquely qualified to assist with. Well, there aren't a lot of uh, people who have the um, sort of really unique combination of experiences that you brought to bear and bring to bear every day. And I think that's um, exemplified by the, the different hats that you wear, different but still interconnected and, and overlapping hats that you wear at the company. Um, before we go, Sherry, let's talk about um, advice. I always like to ask our guests to give advice uh, you've had a very successful career. Um, I suspect that when you thought about what your career trajectory would look like the day you graduated from law school, 
and you compare that to uh, the, the path that you've had, like most people, there's probably very little overlap uh, between what you imagined and what the reality was. Uh, what's the one advice that Sherry Williams today would give to Sherry Williams just finishing law school and taking the bar exam? Um, if you could get into that time machine and go back and talk to your younger self, what would you say? Wow, I would say two things. The first thing I would say is never question that you have earned the right to be here. I think women, I think diverse lawyers spend a lot of time wondering if they should be in the rooms that they're in. And so I think that we have to create an environment, not where we're like, oh, we're glad to be here. No, no, no. I have earned the right to be here. So that would be the first thing, because it would just get rid of years of angst of wondering, um, candidly, if I'm good enough when you're up against the Columbia lawyer or the Stanford lawyer or all those other things. So, so that would be one. And the third, uh, the, the second one I would say, Joe, is to be real clear about what motivates you. And um, one of the things that has always been very interesting to me is when I have been sort of in the horse race for positions or responsibilities against people who were motivated by money, I always came out on top because money is not my motivation. And if that is the carrot that you're dangling in front of me in order to push me harder and faster, it just kind of doesn't work. And not to say I don't care about money, but it is not the thing that makes me do what I do. And I feel like if that is the primary focus you have, and that's why you do what you do, you're giving away a little bit of something. And at some point, someone's going to offer you so much that you're going to be inclined to compromise in ways that you may not be able to live. That's excellent advice, Sherry. Um, and I do want to throw one other question in because I thought about it listening to you talk about what people call the imposter syndrome that a lot of women and a lot of minorities have at the back of their head, that whole question, do I belong here? Um, I think one thing that we face equally, uh, probably as much, if not more so, isn't our questioning whether we belong here, but others questioning whether we belong here. My question for you is, what would you say to other people who question and wonder whether you belong in the room? Um, and while you're thinking about that, I'm thinking about encounters that I've had with lawyers who, um, you know, I probably had been practicing longer than they'd been alive. Uh, and had maybe 10 times the experience that they had in a particular area who questioned <laughs> whether or not I had the requisite experience to do what it is we were working on. Uh, sometimes you see that on people on the other side and that becomes an advantage when your adversaries take you for granted. Sometimes you see it rarely, but still from people who are on uh, your side of the V who you have to educate. Um, what do you say to people like that who still 
don't get that the person they're dealing with and who they're talking to knows what the heck they're doing? So that's a hard question because you don't want to be confrontational. Um, and I will tell you um, the next time you have the opportunity to buy me a drink, a conversation that I had in a boardroom with some directors once yeah. um, on this very topic that I'm not going to put out on this podcast. But, um, <laughs> you know, what, what I will simply do is address their issues and, you know, not try to say, oh, well, you know, I deserve to be here when they're like, well, you know, real life example, someone was like, well, I just think the DOJ is going to have a problem with that. I said, really? Because in the year I spent sitting in the conference rooms with members of DOJ, I have to tell you, I don't think that's going to be their concern. And, and then there's this sort of look like, and in my mind, my thought bubble, the thing we can't say out loud says, clearly you did not Google me. Right? So it, it is, it, it is kind of a funny thing, but I will tell you, I have those conversations with my protégés all the time. And I have two protégés that gave me the perfect way to address those issues. One of them is a coffee mug that says, please do not confuse your Google search with my law degree. And the other one is also a coffee mug that says, please do not confuse your speculation with my experience. So when I encounter those people, it, my coffee just might end up in one of those two months. <laughs> uh, Sherry, I think at some point in the near future, I may have to borrow one of those uh, mugs. Uh, but in the meantime, I just want to say to you, uh, it's been a privilege and a pleasure connecting with you again, my friend. Uh, you have, as always, given us pearls of wisdom. And I so appreciate uh, you being a member of my personal board of directors, but also appreciate the time you shared with us today. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you for the invitation. And I also want to thank Dwayne Morris for um, having such a wonderful program. And, and you are the perfect person to lead it. So um, congratulations to them for having enough sense to have you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Sherry. Take care now. Take care. Bye-bye.